This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. And now, today's story. If you're looking for ways to be more influential, you're probably looking for ways to be a better leader, which is probably one of the reasons to let you listen to our More Than Work podcast. So we have decided to bring you this series so that you can understand as a leader, what do the people who are considering following you look for? And we are looking at a Gallup study that said that leaders who exhibit certain properties to followers get better followers. So in other words, what do followers need? And last time we talked about trust, and this time we're going to talk about compassion, that followers need compassion in order to follow a leader. This comes to mind recently, I saw a study that talked about people coming out of the most recent pandemic and how workers are very, very stressed and they're dealing with all these problems at home. Lots of people are dealing with various forms of mental illness, whether that's depression. And it talked a little bit about what can managers, supervisors, companies do to support those people. And what the study showed was that whenever a supervisor shows compassion, for an employee who's going through something, they just show the compassion. They don't even have to necessarily solve the problem or even give the employee any tools to solve their own problem. If they just show a little bit of compassion, that actually has a positive impact on the employee and it helps the employee to actually be able to recover more quickly and to be able to hit the ground more quickly at work and get better faster. So there's something really, really powerful about this idea of compassion. So that's what we're going to talk about today is compassion. Matt? Thanks, Don. And I think maybe one of the best ways to be able to cue this up too is, do you want to share the definition of compassion so we know exactly what it is that we're we're talking about here for the specifics of it? So I would love to. So merriamwebster.com defines compassion. We usually don't like to start this way. It's such a hokey way of starting a presentation. But in this case, I think the word compassion gets tied up with the words like sympathy and empathy and things like that. So here's the definition of compassion. It's the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with the desire to alleviate it. So again, a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. So I'm sympathetically conscious of your distress. Plus, I have some desire to alleviate it. So it's not necessarily that I'm going to alleviate it. It's just that I have some desire to alleviate it. So I'm sympathetic and I have desire to alleviate. So this definition of compassion, the word compassion starts with a recognition right? It starts with recognizing distress in somebody else for whatever reason. We might not know what the cause of that distress is, but it, it starts with this recognition of, of the distress, which now we're kind of honestly teetering a little close to the emotional intelligence part. Am I picking up what, what other people are laying down there, so to speak? But it starts with this idea of, of recognition. So let's walk through this because I think as soon as we talk about compassion, then I don't know. It feels like a lot of people just hit the pause button and they're like, I'm going to wait till next week when they drop a different one. We're talking about feelings again, still, or talking about emotions, right? But it is one of those emotional words. In fact, if you're the definition, sympathetic, okay, it starts with the word sympathetic. I mean, come on, right? Consciousness of other people's distress together and desire to alleviate. I think there's a couple of different frames of reference as far as what compassion looks like here. When we're talking about it in that sense, the specific definition of it, first of all, I have to recognize the distress. And second of all, I have to care, 
I have to care enough to be able to address it or try to address it or try to communicate with somebody. Now, we are bringing this to the masses, right? So there's lots of different people listening. There's business owners, there's managers of teams, there's the frontline employees, first day on the job. And we might relay this differently. And so really what I want to talk about, first of all, is how do we get past the emotional side of compassion and maybe recognize what the impact of, of a lack of compassion might be on a team setting or an, in a team uh, dynamic? So I think what we're trying to do here is make a business case for compassion, right? Why do we care about compassion beyond just the emotion side of things? And first and foremost, whether you care or not might be, I guess, on the table, right? right. Do you really care about your employees or do you care about the people that you work for? You might say no, Diana, you might say no. I don't know. I think it depends on the person, honestly. Like some of you I care about and some of you I do not. Right. And your nonverbals make me believe that too. I know people can't see it, but the nonverbals were very real there as Diana was saying that. And this is one of those topics where maybe if you're taking a poll of people and you said, okay, so you have to recognize it, then you have to care whether or not they're in distress, right? Because some people just don't have that filter at all. Like, oh, that's their deal, right? That's their problem. I'm going to let them sort that out. And you know, come to me whenever you get that all sorted out. Whereas the other you know, population of people are like, oh man, let me dig in just a little bit further to find out what's going on here and see if there's something that I can maybe help them process through or remedy to that too. I think there's a little bit of a, I'm going to use this term kind of black and white here, and it's not really totally true but I think there's a little bit of a fake it till you make it situation going on here. If you're not really feeling it, look, here's the point. Science, the non-emotional side tells us that as humans, if you don't show compassion for people, they're less likely to follow you, which means if you're a boss, they're less likely to do what you say or what you even mean for them to do. If they're a team member, they're less likely to work with you well. If they're a family member, they're less likely to connect with you. There's lots of things here. You will be less effective in your relationships if you genuinely don't care for other people and you show them that you don't care for them. Now, when you brought that up too, as a boss, you know, they're less likely to be productive or less likely to follow you. And a lot of people, we hear this from a lot of people, you mean their paycheck isn't enough for them to follow me or they're, I employ them. It's not enough for them just to come to work and, and maybe do what, do what we're asking them to do. Diana, you have thoughts. Yeah, I do. I'm one of those people that earlier in my career, I very much said, I don't care about your feelings. I don't care what's going on in your home life. Just stop, compartmentalize it, come to work, do what you're supposed to do, and we pay you. That was very much my thought. I will say that I have grown out of that a little bit. Really? Struggle with it because yeah. I genuinely want to get stuff done. I'm very task oriented and, what, and I like results. What made you grow out of it, Diana? Was it Matt? Yeah, it really was. Yeah, it, Matt wore me down. <laughs> <laughs> but you're better for it. I do. I work with a bunch of empathizers and they need that to feel connected to me. And Matt just wasn't going to have the task conversation without the other stuff first. And once we built the relationship where I started to care about what was going on in his life and his kids and his wife, and I met those people and I connected to them, he and I worked so much better together because he understood what I needed and I understood what he needed. And I think that helped us move things forward a lot easier. Yeah. And Diana, you just said something too. And, I, and this is where we, we kind of separate it. You just said, I work with a lot of empathizers and they're not going to have a relationship with me until I get past some of that stuff. And here's the question, right? Because you, you might be one of those people listening right now going, I do not care about other people's distress. 
Right. I don't like I have enough distress of my own. I don't need your distress also. I don't care about the family. I don't care about those things, which sounds awful, I guess, for lack of a better term. But there are certain people that are wired like that as well. I don't care. But, you know, here's the question, like, is showing compassion the end game? Because, Diana, you kind of you kind of stumbled across this when you said uh, that they until I have a relationship with them, until I care about those things, then I'm not going to have a relationship with them. But why is it important that you have the relationship with them? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head there. That's not the end game for me, right? The end game is the result, but I wasn't able to get the result until I got the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Don said, fake it till you make it earlier. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have to do a lot of that. I genuinely care about people, but I'm much more at ease compartmentalizing a lot of that stuff and just focusing on the result. And so it is difficult for me to put things out there and share my life and all of that. I don't love it. It's not comfortable, but if I can fake it just a little bit, then it comes back. And then I actually do start to care. Eventually. It's funny. I feel like we have these, I don't know if I've shared this before, but I feel like if, you know, I have those conversations with my kids as well, where they might have somebody in their class who's being really mean to them. And I'm like, you have to be kind to them, even though you don't want to be kind to them. And then hopefully they'll be kind to you and you'll get the result that you want to at the end of the day. And that's a, that's a kind of compassion that's at play as well that you have to learn really early. If it doesn't feel natural to you, you don't want to invest that kindness into that person and that compassion into that person sometimes, but it has a different end game. It, it's going to get you where you want to if you keep at it and you invest in that. Is it okay if I jump into this? Let me frame it real quick. I totally agree with what Bethany's saying there where Diana is going like there is an end game, right? There's an end game, by the way, either way, whether or not I'm considering that or not, even if you're a natural with compassion, you know, one of the reasons why you might be natural at showing compassion and that you have a vested interest in other people is because you value the person and maybe the things like this is going to sound awful, but maybe the things that are mutually beneficial for both of you, if, if you're on the same team, if you have a relationship there too, right? And for some of those people too, it's like, man, I don't value compassion at all, but I do value results. And in order for me to be able to get results, I, I might have to walk through the compassion door a, a little bit to be able to build a relationship, but then we can get past it and go forward. So there are these ripple effects that take a hold from being able to show compassion. So Bethany, go ahead and share. I know you have some some thoughts uh, from yeah. the book as far as what some of those effects might be and can maybe frame that for us. So in the book that we are getting all of this from, it's from the Strengths-Based Leadership book, like we've mentioned before, that's from, it was developed by Gallup. And so these are the, you know, these are the different elements of what people need when they're looking to follow a leader, right? And so in this book, they talk about how they ask over 10 million people to respond to the question or to the the statement, my supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person. And they found that people who agree with this statement are significantly more likely to stay with their organization, have much more engaged customers, are substantially more productive and produce more profitability for the organization just because their manager or leader showed compassion and seemed to care about them as an individual. Yeah. If you're talking about in game, like that might be one of the questions that you still have. What is, what is the reason? Maybe you haven't, you haven't been sold on showing compassion. Those are some great examples there from the book that talk about, Hey, here's some reasons why you might want to consider compassion. It it affects some of those things that Bethany referred to. Some of these things affect the bottom line of your team or your department or your company as well too, but you have to walk through this door of compassion. So what are some important indicators, I guess, or some, some important things that you would consider as maybe, let's say I'm a manager, how would I show compassion? Like how would I do that? And how do I do it and make it believable? You know what I mean? 
especially if I'm anti-compassion. Remember, compassion, you know, that definition, it's a sympathetic consciousness, which means sympathy means that you do care for their response. You don't have to feel the response. That's empathetic. Empathy is you feel it with the other person. Sympathy is that you acknowledge that they're feeling it. Like you feel bad that they feel bad. It's not that you feel bad with them. So if you're not feeling it, that doesn't mean something's wrong with you as a human. That yeah. just means that you're not as empathetic as others. Empathy is a strength that some people have and some people don't. But I think it's really important as a manager or just as an employee or as, as a coworker or as a human to recognize that sometimes we are so much problem solvers in the world that to show compassion means we're going to solve a problem for you. And that's also not what that definition says. It's not that we're going to solve the problem for you. It's that we have a desire to alleviate it. We were talking right before we jumped on here. My brother recently had surgery and my mom called me and was talking about my brother's surgery. And she was talking about what the doctor said and this, this and that. And I started firing questions back to her. Did you ask the doctor this? Did you ask the doctor this? Did they do this? Have they done this yet? Have they done this, that? And listening on the phone, I originally heard my mom was getting frustrated with me. She was getting upset. And I paused and I recognized and I said, wait a second, were you calling me because you just needed me to problem solve with you? Or were you calling me because you just needed me to hear that you've had a long day? And she said, it's probably more of the latter. Sometimes as a first piece, you don't have to have the answers for everything. I think that's the key is sometimes it's just acknowledging, yeah, that sucked. I heard what you said and I'm acknowledging that I heard it. That's compassion right there. The solution, everything else doesn't matter. All you have to do is show that I've heard it. I'm acknowledging it. It's the consciousness of the other's distress as the definition says. And then also saying that sucks. I don't like it either. And that's the desire to alleviate it. It's that simple. Bethany, what were we going to say? I wanted to add to that because I think like Don kind of mentioned before, it doesn't mean, I don't think compassion means sitting in your office and crying with your employee and patting them on the back and just saying, it's going to be okay. And what can I do for you? And how can, you know, let's, that's not necessarily what it means. Maybe if you really enjoy that, right? That's that empathy side of things. But I think this is where it's so important to know your strengths and to know those superpowers and how you work best with people and how you communicate with people and how you interact, you know, as I look at my own strengths within here, none of them tell me to do that, to sit and cry with somebody. None of them said to do that, because even though I do that, sometimes that does not necessarily come natural to me. That's not going to be most effective in terms of showing compassion. Some of the things that they said are connect them with other people who are like-minded, who have those commonalities. If someone comes to me and, you know, they're voicing an issue or a problem or something they're really passionate about, one way that I can show compassion to them is saying, hey, let me, I know somebody else who you need to connect with about this thing, not in a passing it off, but it's a, that's just a way to show compassion by helping them connect with somebody who's like-minded, right? Or it might be helping provide clarity to their feelings and not necessarily solving the problem. It's just helping them create some clarity to their thoughts. It might be helping just take an interest in their dreams, but helping them launch that dream and that thought and that idea and that frustration into something productive, or it's helping identify where they're really gifted in something and what their strengths are and helping them see those things too. So I think when we think about compassion, it's going to manifest in a lot of different ways, depending on what your own strengths are. So don't get lost in this idea of, okay, well, I just have to put on this face of compassion for now and just get through it. No, I think that you all have your own strengths and your own ways that you're going to show compassion that come really naturally to you, honestly. 
I've got a good example of that. I was flying with somebody one time at the, in the airport and there was a flight that was late before ours, but we were trying to get an earlier flight. So we were trying to get tickets to an earlier flight. So we were waiting in line and the guy in front of us was waiting to get a standby seat. And there were lots of seats that were open on that plane, but he didn't know that. He was waiting to get a standby seat. So he was standing there waiting by the counter. Somebody came to us and said, hey, you know, what, what can I do for you guys? And he was so mad that they had gone to the next people in line. And we said, hey, do you have extra seats on this flight? And they were like, yes. And he thought that meant he wasn't going to get on the flight. But anyway, they ended up giving us the seats and then they gave him his seats too and said, yeah, you're on this flight. You're okay. The airline person was not acknowledging that he was stressed out. So talking to him, he was looking at us like during this and he was so mad and he was talking to us. He goes, I flew from Russia. I've been flying for like 36 hours. I just want to get home. I haven't slept. I missed a flight and I've just been tired the whole time. I just want to get home. This is my last leg of the flight and everything. And so and the airline person said, well, sir, I helped you. I did. I gave you a ticket. I don't know what else I could have done. Showing zero compassion, no sympathy for it or whatever. The person I was with diffused the entire situation just really simply. He went up to him and he put his hand on his shoulder and he says, hey, it's been a really, really long trip for you. And I know that it sucks to get stuck here, but why don't we just go home right now? And it was amazing how the person just like in a moment, just let it all go. Okay, let's just get on the plane. Let's just go home. I'm going to take all that anger, just put it aside for just a little bit. And it was amazing how the lack of compassion from the airline employee just in that moment, all they would have had to say was, you've been traveling for a long time. You just want to get home. Like, I'm going to make sure I try to get you on this plane. I'm going to do everything I can to get you on this plane. That's all they had to say instead of I'm doing the best I can. I'm processing this for you. It's not acknowledging the other person's problem. You know, Matt, you talked about earlier, like, how do you get over the emotion side of this? It's always interesting, I think, as, as a company, you know, we're called people-centric consulting because people are the thing that we have the most trouble with in business. And overall, it's the most challenging piece, but we can't really escape our humanity. Just an observation I have for some of you who are saying like, why do I need to care about people? An observation I have as a consultant is that the people who hate that they have to feel compassion for their employees or their coworkers are often the first to come to us as consultants and complain about that. And we hear that a lot. And so my question to you is if you would be the type of person that would complain about that, which is fine, how do you expect me to respond when you're complaining about that? It's kind of ironic if you think about it. You're complaining to me about like how other people, I shouldn't have to care about other people. How do you want me to respond? I don't give a crap about what you think. Is that how you want me to respond to you? We as humans, we have to live within our own humanity. We just respond really well to compassion. I think it starts with this, you know, again, this idea of recognition, but then there's a listening stage there too, right? Don, you use the example of talking to your mom and how you immediately tried to solve the problem. And I think part of compassion starts with listening. And then it moves into this acknowledgement phase, you know, the, the flight example, if I'm just trying to roadmap this for my visual learners out there that need to see what this looks like, I guess this recognition into listening into acknowledgement. I think that's probably a good recipe for success when you're talking about compassion. Bethany did a good job of pointing out that that might look differently. You know, how we acknowledge might look differently for different people. But I think if we can start with the recognize, listen, and acknowledge the concern. Years ago, doing phone center stuff, uh, if somebody had to wait on hold for an X amount of time, and then they came on the phone, if you weren't compassionate toward their distress about having to wait on the phone for that long to talk to you some of them just won't get over it until you acknowledge that that was frustrating. I was in distress. You don't seem to care. And sometimes, Don, like you said, it's just real simple. Just one more thing on that. It's really, really simple. There's a book out there and it's called Don't Sing Songs to a Broken Heart or something like that. I apologize for not getting the title totally right, but it talks about how when somebody has a big loss, like a loss of a family member or something, how people tend to try to lean into it and they try to problem solve. 
And they'll say things like, you know, oh, at least you had all this time together, or at least you got to say goodbye, or 83 years is a long time for that person to live. And those, if you've lost somebody and somebody says that to you, that doesn't help you at all. The best thing that you can hear are the simplest things of like, that sucks. I'm so sorry that happened. That's not what you expected. You expected more than that. This is what you got. Because it allows the other person to know that you're acknowledging where they're feeling and where they're at. It's simple lines like that. So if you're looking for real simple words, that sucks is not terrible. In some situations, you probably expected more is a good one. Uh, I'm so sorry that happened. I get it. A little bit of a repeat back of what they just said. I think those are all really powerful, simple ways to show compassion. When we're talking about reflecting, especially in facilitation, we, we can reflect words and we can also reflect emotions. And compassion is a good time to be able to reflect emotions. I'm glad you didn't use the phrase, I understand. That's a simple go-to one that can also break it for you instead of make it for you because you know at that time again you're kind of putting them on the playing field of like really you understand this has happened to you you flew halfway across the world from russia and then you got stranded here in this airport at this time which is happening to me and not you like that that can that can break it a lot of times we over complex what this compassion looks like yeah it minimizes right if you say like i understand like i look but we've had other customers who've been through this before those right. types of things that yeah. minimizes the experience and people don't want to be minimizing the experience makes people maximize their feelings and emotions with yeah it. so let's talk about something that maybe is a little difficult here i guess to address you know we talked about okay so how do i demonstrate or try to demonstrate what this compassion looks like. But let's talk about this. What if I am an employee on a team and I feel like, man, I really am not getting that level of compassion that I feel like I need from maybe a supervisor, boss, maybe even a peer. Like, how do you ask somebody for compassion? How do you bring that up? Like that might be a very difficult conversation to have. What tips might we have as far as how do I go through the process of, of just having a conversation with somebody and maybe asking for that? You know, in your case, Don, with your mom, you stopped and said, wait a second, I'm picking up something here. Is it this way instead of this way? But, but what if that didn't happen? You probably hang up the phone and you're both, you know, you're frustrated at that time. Diana, what do you think? Well, I was going to use an example of you and I, because oh. we're both very different communicators. And I distinctly remember you coming to me one time and saying, Something to the effect, I'm, I'm probably butchering how you did this because you're much more eloquent with these types of things, but you said something like, Diana, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need to tell you what's going on. And so you kind of just brought it and laid everything out there. And it gave me permission to not have to think about the, the solving part of it. And when you finished speaking, I didn't have to speak and solve something. You just said, don't solve this. I just need you to know what's going on. So then when you were done speaking, I said, wow, thanks for telling me that. And that's all I had to say, because you gave me the freedom to not have to solve something then. And I, I thought that, that was a very good, emotionally intelligent way to handle asking for compassion. Because I think what you were doing was saying, Diana, I know you're going to try to solve something. I know you're going to tell me to get over something. I know you're going to try to fix something but I don't need that right now. I just need you to see the bigger picture, I think. Yeah, or, or maybe even at the end of this, you might even still disagree, but don't talk for a minute or just hang on for a second. Like, let me just get through this. And I think we all have that to a certain degree. Like, I just need to be able to get to a certain point of being able to say the things that are all jumbled up here. And then maybe that person on the other end, like, which is, you know, in my life, it is Diana a lot of times there that's trying to pick up those pieces and I put them back and put them back where they go. But sometimes you don't necessarily, 
you don't necessarily need that either. And, and there's very little problem solving that has to happen and compassion can still exist if, even in that mindset, right? That's great. I love that, that wild radical thought that you could go to a person that you're gonna have a conversation with and lay out what you need from them in the conversation. That's wild and radical, but it is so effective. Here's what I need from you right now. Do you mind if I just vent for a second? Cause I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna complain for a second. Is that okay? Can I just complain? And I think Diana and I did that this morning on a chat. We were talking about a company that we work with and I was venting, not a client, but a vendor. And I was, I said, I'm just gonna vent for a second. I was complaining about the vendor and it wasn't like, but Diana didn't write back saying, well, here's all the solutions that we're gonna do. She just wrote back and kind of said, yep, that sucks. I'm upset too. Let's move on from that. Done, I moved back to work on that. I think another one is, you know, if you're talking about how can you, like, let's say it's your boss and let's say you don't have a great relationship and you just need a little more compassion from your boss. It is hard to go to your boss and say, I need to be more compassionate with me. Pro move, that's probably not a great tip, right? But in another way of asking that question is how could you influence your boss to be more compassionate? And another way of saying is how could you lead your boss to be more compassionate? So one of the ways to lead is to be compassionate yourself. I think if you're looking for somebody to be more compassionate with you, sometimes demonstrating compassion to that person can help them to start to pick up some clues and say, okay, I'm being treated this way. And it opens up a relationship between people and makes them feel more comfortable. Whether they start showing compassion right away or not and actually reflect that, that's possible. But if not, it at least opens up and gives you the relationship that you need to be able to go to them and say like, I need a little something different from you in these situations. Is it okay if I just come to you and vent? sometimes, or is it okay if I just share this and you just say, Hey, that sucks. Or you expected something different yeah. uh, in those situations. Yeah. You just reminded me, Don, I need to get on your calendar the next couple of days. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> looking forward to that. Right. Hey, one of the, I don't know if this is good or not, but one of the interesting things that we just talked about, what are the ripple effects? If I'm the one who's trying to practice compassion, what are the ripple effects of the things that I'm getting for that? But let's maybe spin that just a little bit differently too. Like what are the rewards of practicing compassion, not from them, but what are some of those rewards? And, and some people, this might be a harder question to ask because I'm not after compassion for the end game. But for some people are, right? What are some of the rewards that I have internally maybe for practicing compassion with other people? Diana? I think I touched on this earlier, but like you and I work so much better together Yeah. since I do have compassion for the things happening in your life. And I understand that you need that. And I understand that people need that. You and I just sort of fall into a pattern and, and have figured out how to communicate really well together. And I think that's the same with a lot of my relationships, right? Don was saying how he asked his mom, what do you need? Do you need to vent? Do you need some problem solving? Don and I did it this morning with a vendor, right? He said very clearly, I'm just going to vent. I think when you start asking those questions and thinking through like, what does this human need from me as another human? You get a lot more out of it. You get the results that you need. You get a deeper relationship. You get a better understanding I use it in my marriage, right? Like, hey, husband, do you need your wife right now? Or do you need a business consultant right now? Like, who do you need? And he'll say like, right now, I just need my wife. Or right now, I want you to go in business consultant mode and, and help me figure this out. So I think it just, it deepens the, the understanding and the communication so that you yeah. can get to the end result a lot faster. This is a corny example. I like that one, Diana, a lot. This is a corny example I had recently. I took a few days off. For, I took a long weekend over the Easter break. And every morning I got into the habit of just going for a long walk. And I just walk around my neighborhood. 
And we have a neighborhood that is, it's a nice suburban neighborhood, but the culture in the neighborhood is kind of stay to yourself for the most part. Neighbors, you'll wave to every once in a while, but like if you're walking down the street, people don't wave to each other a lot. And then I was recently hung out with a couple of friends in a different neighborhood, Diana, the one you used to live in here near downtown, that they have a crazy engaged, they are all up in each other's business constantly kind of neighborhood. Everything that goes on in that neighborhood. Everybody knows everybody. And you're, I mean, you can't, you're on the porch talking. You have to stop every time somebody walks by and use their name and wave and say, Hey, how are the kids? And all this, I mean, it's like a nine, a, a, you know, nine or 10 versus a one or two differences on that. So I went for the walk and I was kind of thinking like, man, our neighborhood, you walk by people in the driveways and they don't really say anything to you or anything like that. And I thought, I wonder what if I just started waving to people? And, and so I started off just kind of casually like that. And then I started changing, like when a car would drive by me, I would wave, you know, just, just walking down the street. And by the end of the walk, I was surprised at how much I felt differently and how many people did wave back. And some people don't, some people still, you know, the culture takes a while to change all that stuff, but how it really did have an impact on me where I didn't maybe, where I left the walk thinking, I just want to go for a quiet walk on my own. And my neighborhood's a place where I can go and kind of disengage things sometime and go on a quiet walk. And I wanted to be, it was really for me time, that waving to other people and that showing this, that moment of compassion of just a little bit of, I'm conscious that you're existing and we're living in the same neighborhood did have a real positive impact on me. It made me feel pretty good. Yeah, there's two sides to that, two different sides of, of impact there, the, the giver and the receivers. I think sometimes we're so worried about why aren't other people being compassionate to me? And we forget to think about other people and how we can be compassionate. I know, Diana, you even said that, you know, with your husband, I think that's a really common one. Those are close relationships. So I think sometimes I... I get stuck in that mindset of like, why isn't he being compassionate to me about this? Instead of me stopping to be like, wait, I'm not really listening to him on this and acknowledging his frustration or something that is upsetting him or something like that and showing compassion and reflecting that back to him because I'm so worried about him not being compassionate to me. And so we have this gap and there's this roadblock and we can't connect because nobody's stepping back to show compassion. So somebody has to break that cycle, right? In, in a recent podcast that we did with Sean Askinosi, which I highly recommend you go back and watch it. Listen, watch, listen, either one. It's a two-parter. He tells the story about whenever he was a teenager, his dad passed away and how the people that were surrounding them did not have very good compassion. They said some horrible things to him, honestly, that were, that were just terrible that he really had to process through later. And one of the ways that he really dealt with that situation later in life was that he actually went to the hospital and volunteered to sit with patients who were terminally ill and put himself in the situation that his dad was in for other people and where he could show compassion and he did it differently. Like he rewrote the script. And I mean, he talked about it like it's going back in the lion's den, like sticking your head in the lion's mouth. It's a terrible thing to have to do. It's like, you're really confronting your pain on this. But by showing the compassion, he took something that, that people hurt him before in his life and turned it into something incredibly positive that ended up really changing his life and becoming a catalyst for moving him forward and making him a lot happier in his life and his existence. I mean, there's there's something we do, we don't like to go through that. Like, wow, we have others that need us. And that's, you know, that's terrible. But at the same time, it's wonderful. And we really do need that as humans. I was going to add that I feel like the amount of safety that comes with that compassion is huge. So I remember early in my career, like I'd have to go to work and just compartmentalize everything, right? Yes, I'm having a bad day at home or my grandpa's sick or my brother's not doing well, but I I can't share any of that. I have to keep that to myself. I have to bottle that in. I have to pretend that everything is fine and I have to do my job. 
And when I started having a team where they were sharing things with me, like, oh, my brother's in the hospital or my mom is sick. And then I could share back. My team made me feel safe and it makes it feel like I don't have to fake it every day. I'm allowed to have bad days. I'm allowed to not be at the top of my game. I'm allowed to make a mistake because something else was going on. And so I think that psychological safety and just that comfortability comes with this compassion as well. And it really, it does have an impact on your day-to-day life when you go to work and don't have to feel unsafe. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Google did a study on teams and said, what's the characteristics that makes a team very, very high performing overall. And the number one thing they found was something called psychological safety. And it's the idea we can be safe with each other because now we can have difficult conversations because we know what the intention is. I think that's, I think that's really important. We can tell each other, we can call each other out when something's not working well because we still care about each other as we're working through things. I mean, all of those are the emotional. It's funny, Matt, we started this whole thing talking about how do we get past the emotional? It's not the end game. It's not all that stuff, but Really, when we embrace the people side of who we are, even if we don't feel like that's the way that it should work, it's the way that it does work. That sounds real smart. It's the way that it is does work. That's why we <laughs> want to focus on it. <laughs> you guys are showing no compassion for me right now. No compassion whatsoever. It's the way that we work as humans and yeah. we can ignore that and not be as effective and people won't follow us as much. Or we can embrace that and guess what? You might find something out about yourself and you might find what it's like to be on a team like that. Uh, I'm going to go around the table here as we wrap up just just to give a tip on compassion. And, and I, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to start this time because I think you just touched on it. So it's a good segue into what my tip was going to be. My tip is practice authenticity. And, and the reason why I say that is because practicing authenticity, if I'm that person that does not, okay, I recognize the benefit of showing compassion. I haven't recognized the benefit to myself if I do show compassion, but the hard part is, man, I just have a hard time getting there. It might take some work. It might take some practice to sound genuine, to make sure that you're relaying the feeling of compassion when you are actually trying to. So practice authenticity through compassion as well. Who'd like to go next? I'll go Diana. next. Yeah. Similar, but opposite. So it, I was really going to say like, as someone who's not good at it, fake it for a little bit because I wasn't not genuinely faking it. I wasn't faking it to like be, you know, a jerk. I just wasn't good at it. So I think it is that you said it better again, because you're better at these types of human-y things. Mm -hmm. Practicing authenticity, for me, it was faking it just a little bit until I figured out what worked. And so I did definitely practice it. Awesome. Thanks. Bethany. So mine goes back to what I was talking about a little bit ago, where to be humble enough to show compassion when you feel, even when you feel like you're not being shown compassion. So being willing to be the first to, to listen, to stop and listen and say, okay, I hear you. I understand. And to show that empathy or sympathy or whatever, show that compassion. And even if you feel like, okay, they're not being compassionate to me, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It'll come. You can take the first step. Yeah, that's awesome. Don. I think my tip is to go through every day and, and, and maybe make a focus on it. If this is an area that you think you could work on as a leader in terms of compassion, if it's not something you're natural at, I want you to look for opportunities to do it on even everyday interactions that you have with people, going to the grocery store, walking down the street, whatever it is, just saying hi to people at the office. 
you'd be surprised at how many opportunities we have to do it and how simple it is. It's not sitting down, as Bethany said earlier, it's not sitting down with them and crying, you know, having them cry on your shoulder for 45 minutes or spending hours and hours, you know, talking to somebody about, you know, something that they just feel bad about. It's just acknowledging people. It's acknowledging the people that are around you. I think you'll be surprised by how other people respond to you with that. And then I think you'll be surprised at how you respond as well. Yeah. All right, great. So I think we, we covered both sides of what that looks like and maybe the benefits for the giver and the receiver of compassion are step two here of this four-part series. What are we going to talk about next, Don? Well, we're going to dive into the last two things that followers need of leaders from the Strengths Finders, and it's going to be stability. And then we're going to talk about hope. We talked about trust. Today, we talked about compassion. Next, we're going to talk about stability and hope. Thanks for listening today. The More Than Work podcast is produced by People-Centric Consulting Group, a consulting firm that believes people should be put at the center of every organization. If you have a topic you want our team of experts to address, feel free to contact us at morethanworkpodcast at peopleccg.com. You can also learn more about us by visiting our website at www.peoplecentric.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week to give you practical advice that you can use to improve your work. In the meantime, lead well.